Welcome to Call Your Girlfriends, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso, and my voice is shot today. I'm Ann Friedman, and my voice sounds okay, but my body feels shot today. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited about the agenda for today's episode. You talk to the incredible Cora Harrington, who, queen of foundation garments and lingerie, is the founder of Lingerie Addict and the author of In Intimate Detail. Pause. We're both just pausing in silence and just, awe. My <laughs> eyes closed and I am so happy because I did this interview a while ago and I've been so excited to share it, you know, with the listeners and with you. How did you come across her work originally? I definitely discovered Cora Harrington on Twitter because it's like a space that I segregate so much for just, it's like news and, uh, you know, like politics or whatever. And then every other platform is more fun. But I remember somebody had retweeted a resource that she had shared about um, for plus size women in lingerie. And I was mm. like, what? This is possible on this Babylon platform? You were like fastest click <laughs> possible. Like, yes, no, fastest <laughs> click. So I followed her for this one thing. And then... It turned out that it was like one of the most consequential follows of 2018 for me. Cora is just very, obviously she's like the queen of lingerie, but she just talked about it in a way that had never occurred to me before. Sure, you can wear lingerie for a partner or you can sexualize those items of clothing, but they don't have to be at all. Mm. And also that lingerie is a really... Um, it's an important part of fashion, like both fashion history and fashion vocabulary, and also just like the labor that goes around making lingerie. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was a real eye opener about something that I was like, oh, it's just like panties and chemises. And then it turns out that it's actually a very uh, political and personal space and a very technical space. And I love it when women teach me things. So learning about this like really awesome thing from somebody who is so smart has been very affecting for me. Oh, I love that. Before we talk to her, though, I kind of want to go back and discuss a little bit um, last week's episode. Uh, what did you do last week on this episode? Oh, my God. What did even. you break? <laughs> <laughs> we, we got many emails after this last week's episode, um, which is about the Women's March and anti-Semitism and anti-Black racism and the politics of marching and what kind of activism is it to even participate in a march lots of things like that several people sent us additional resources um, which we will put in the show notes for example a, a public letter uh, written by jewish women of color involved in the march explaining like why they remain involved um, including some great resources from jews for racial and economic justice and uh and some other things to check out so we will put those in the show notes Totally. And we also got, um, you know, my favorite kind of listener email. Which is what? When um, we talk about something that is already stretching us and somebody is like, oh, here are more links to read that can help you. We both love a resource. <laughs> yeah, we love a resource. We, we love emails also that remind us that we uh, sometimes like we don't see the full story. And so the reason that I love this email from listener Emily is uh, one that she was very generous and too. She like raised some points that were like, oh yeah, duh, like we know this, but we uh, it, we didn't make it explicit. And so the first thing that she says is, um, Linda Sarsour has shown up so well for the American Jewish community and is definitely not anti-Semitic. The facts about Linda Sarsour are often distorted and I wish I heard more of the counter arguments out there. The reason that I like this point is that it actually is true, is that in the <laughs> record of things that- You Linda, love a true point. <laughs> I love a true point. You know, I was like, people can decide like whether Linda Sarsour is anti-Semitic for themselves. Like that's not the point that I agree with. The point that I do agree with that she has been at the forefront of calling out a lot of recent anti-Semitism and also has raised a lot of money 
with a group of Muslim people has raised a lot of money for, I'm thinking about Pittsburgh, namely. And so I think that that's an important thing to know because uh, people are complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the second point that Emily raises is not all Jews are Zionists. There are many American Jews, maybe even a majority, that are critical of Israel and see the oppression of Palestinians as counter to their Jewish values. There are Jewish organizations, like If Not Now, that are dedicated to fighting Israel's oppression of Palestinians. I personally, like I being Emily, Mm -hmm. personally volunteer with an organization called Bend the Ark because of their explicit focus on fighting for domestic social justice causes. I feel a personal stake in breaking apart American Jewish identity and Zionist causes. So thank you, Emily, for being Volney (laughs) and for sharing. I usually have one internet rule and it is truly like never talk about Israel because I'm like, this is where all of the explosions come from. I also feel that way because I was a Middle Eastern studies major and I was the only non, like I was the only black person there, but I was also the only not Jewish, not Arab person in my program. Mm. And so it was like fully hilarious where I was like, mm, this, is, <laughs> this is a lot. So it is stretching me personally to have this conversation on here. And uh, I just appreciate that. You know, like, it's okay to have hard conversations. Yeah, and I also appreciate the generosity of this email and understanding that, like, we were trying to cover so much ground in that Mm -hmm. episode. Frankly, probably too much ground. and, And therefore, like, really clarifying some of these points was either, like, not possible in the time given or was just, like, we were trying to consider a lot of other things. So I appreciate both this email and like some of the additional resources and clarifications and and um, discussion that like we have seen around this episode because like frankly an hour long episode is not enough to talk about <laughs> to talk to talk like really holistically about interlocking oppression and its effect on feminist and other movement we organizing. Solve, uh, we didn't solve that last week. PS how many times can we make this joke after we have a hard conversation like every episode with a hard combo every we're episode, like we solved it. We solved it. We solved it. We talked about it once. We solved it. Oh um woo. and with that let's talk about lingerie. <laughs> oh my god lingerie lingerie is amazing. I love thinking about the foundation garment. I mean, like lingerie is a very like femme feminized term to me. And I don't actually know the dictionary definition of the word. But like when I th- when I hear the word lingerie, I think like silk and lace and like a lot of like, you know, kind of like femme associated trimmings and vibes right (laughs) (laughs) please have a store called trimmings and vibes okay that would be an amazing store selling sex toys and uh, foundation garments oh i thought you were gonna be like sell food and sex toys well trimmings trimmings and vibes i mean um it also sounds like it could be like a Harry Potter store, like a fake. Anyway, yeah. um, but anyway, I I do love the idea of a foundation garment as being like anything that you wear underneath the clothing that the world sees that makes you feel comfortable in your body, that like maybe makes your clothes fit better, that makes you feel supported in ways both physical and non. That kind of like broader way of thinking about those clothes you wear close to your body is one that I really love. That's true. Lingerie in general brings me a lot of... It's like one English word that causes me a lot of strife because... Are we pronouncing it wrong? I mean, <laughs> we're we're pronouncing it the English way, but I that's what it brings... That's why it brings strife into my life. What would you say in French? I mean, the way to say it is not lingerie. It's lingerie. Mm-hmm. But that's like, you know, it's like croissant. Like, I'm just... I'm fully living that life now, so it's fine. <laughs> um, but so that's a weird, like, linguistics tick. So it's funny, like, you're right. I think about lingerie and foundation garments as two separate things, even though the same clothes can either feel like lingerie or they can be a foundational garment. Mm. You also brought the phrase phrase foundation garment in my life. I did not wear, like, I'm a person who used to go to church and I still did not wear a slip until I met Anne Friedman. That tells you, like, what Jesus cannot do for you that a good friend can do for you. If you're a person who wears dresses, I cannot recommend a slip highly enough. I know you like, I believe you like brought like a half slip into my life and you were like, oh, you need this. And I was like, do I? And it turned out I did. But the, I like, I point back to that conversation because it was like one of the first times that I realized that 
one way that you can feel more comfortable in your clothes is if you're wearing them right. Mm, or wearing and, something under them. Right, or wearing something, you know, like me, the queen of commando. But, you know, like if you're just that there is a way to like shape your clothing experience that is fully, it's like things that are there, you know, the shirt before the shirt, mm-hmm. as Polly D would say. <laughs> so, thank you, DJ Polly D, for having an applicable quote to our lingerie you, conversation. Thank you, DJ Polly D, the shirt before the shirt. And that had fully never occurred to me. You start thinking about the things that, come into contact closer to your body. And I was like, oh, I can have nicer underwear. I can have, you know, and it didn't mean that it had to be expensive. I was just like, oh, everything doesn't have to be ratty period underwear, like a radical revelation in my life. And also like having complicated feelings about that is that the more that like that, you know, like for me, I'm like, oh, this is dipping too close into desire territory and uh, I am not comfortable here. Like thinking about what you want to be wearing, like what kind of underwear you want to wear, dipping too close to desire territory. Exactly. And and it took me like years to realize that, that I was like, oh, maybe part of why like I don't own uh, nice undergarments is that to me, like all of that is about sex and sexuality and mm. sexualization. And I want to take all of that off the table. Hmm. And also I was like, why do I think that? And I think that it's just like conflicting both cultural messages and not messages. Like the women in my family, the way that I had always understood lingerie was like, if it looks good on the floor, then buy it. It had never occurred to me that like, oh, you might just like to wear a chemise or like a teddy is a thing that you could like write in your journal and at your house. You know, like I just didn't know that. Wow. And my inherited narrative about like lingerie in as much as that was a thing was like, large white panties flapping in the breeze on like (laughs) on like on like a laundry line like like seriously like why would you wear anything like why would you wear underwear for anything but comfort is sort of like my inherited narrative of like underwear 100 percent. and i think too that like once i started you know like and then once i was like oh i'm ready to explore lingerie as like a sexual thing maybe um I did not encounter lingerie of my size. Right. And so yeah. it was never comfortable. It was never like, ugh. Like, I'm like, what? There's too many, like, straps and things. And then, like, they don't make this for big girls. So, therefore, I'm not participating in this economy. The scam of cup size. Right. The scam of cup sizes and everything else. And Cora's work is actually, like, great because... So, the book in intimate detail is one, like, very beautiful and, like, truly one of my favorite books of 2018. It's illustrated. It is teaching you things. And it completely decouples it from that conversation of like, whose gaze is it for? Whose desire is it for? It's like, but also fully, like, I'm a person who really enjoys fashion. Like, Mm -hmm. I like just everything about it is also inherently very political. Mm -hmm. And that it's not some like frivolous, it's not just panties. It's like, actually, they're your foundation garments. Like, we should talk about this. Having all of that in a book And in a book that has like a different kind of format, I think was really, really powerful. She also um, purposely uses gender neutral language Mm -hmm. in the book. And that was like a very powerful statement of also like, oh, this whole identity that I have wrapped up into lingerie is actually like garbage, you know, and it's and it is a social construct and different people in different bodies experience and want lingerie for different reasons. And so that alone for me was a revelation, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, oh, And also she does it in a way that doesn't make you feel stupid. There are areas of life where you feel like I've worn underwear my whole life. Why do I not, you know, where you can just feel like intensely judged or very dumb. You used to wear underwear? (sighs) Girl, at one point, (laughs) at one point, at one point, listen, God is working on all of us. And I like learning from people who are very generous in how they teach you. Like that was just very, it was very cool experience. I can't wait to listen. My name is Cora Harrington. I am the founder and editor-in-chief of The Lingerie Addict, as well as the author of An Intimate Detail, How to Choose, Wear, and Love Lingerie. Cora, I'm so happy that you were on Call Your Girlfriend today. (laughs) I have been, um, I feel like stalking you on the internet for a long time, and it has been a true delight to watch your blog, The Lingerie Addict, like just blow up. And to like watch you just bloom into this like amazing social media expert and also write a book. So it is a true treat for the Cora fans out there. Thank you very much. I, um, I'm really excited to be here. I, I love talking about lingerie and, and helping people learn more about lingerie. So this is, this is really exciting for me. I would love to hear about kind of where you were at when you realized that a lingerie blog would be, uh, it is a thing that was necessary mm-hmm. 
and also how you make the the kind of the editorial decisions that you make because the I think that the thing that draws me and so many people to your to your site is that you don't position lingerie as you know like attire that people wear for sexual enticement of other people. Mm-hmm. I know that that is a that is a choice that you made, and so I would love it if you could talk about that. Yeah, uh, so I started my blog ten years ago. I was dating someone. This is when I still lived in Georgia. And I wanted to buy something nice to wear for them. And I was searching online looking for advice or reviews or some suggestions on where to shop or what to buy. And I couldn't find anything. There was nothing out there that was written for someone who was brand new to lingerie like me, who was interested in the subject, but just had no idea how to shop for it. And it turns out that there were lots of other people looking for exactly that thing, where even from the beginning, the the focus was to talk about like, the beauty of lingerie and a beautiful lace, a beautiful embroidery, a, a new designer, a brand that we just discovered and, and sharing that excitement as opposed to focusing on, on bedroom or sexy attire. And I, I realized as I learned more about lingerie, as I learned more about intimate apparel, that not only was this, this, this huge and fascinating world that had received very little coverage, but also that there was a way to talk about it that I felt no one else was really addressing. I, I want to help people think about lingerie the same way they think about any other aspect of fashion. And I think part of doing that is making lingerie more accessible to them and not just more accessible in terms of size or price point, which are both very important, but also more accessible in terms of understanding the language of lingerie because intimate apparel really has its own vocabulary, its own set of terms and definitions that aren't shared with the rest of the fashion world. And I think that that can be very intimidating to people because I remember being very intimidated by it. Oh, I'm still very intimidated Yeah, there's so it. much. And, and I found that, though, once people know a little bit more, once they, once they have a sense of what those words mean and how they apply to them, that not only do they feel more confident and empowered, they also feel more excited about lingerie. And, and that's really what makes me happy. I want people to feel just as excited about this world as I do. Why do you think that it's so important that lingerie is talked about in like in the same conversation as we have about fashion and other clothing? Well, there, there's this idea, especially in the States, that lingerie is just bedroom attire, that it's just for sexy times. And, and the the assumption kind of within that assumption is that it is for a cis woman wearing it for a male partner in a heterosexual context. So we, we, we've attached this story, kind of all this weight and all this baggage to lingerie that I think is really unnecessary because lingerie is just underclothing. It's bras, it's panties, it's pajamas, it's chemises, it's slips, it's stockings, it's tights, it's pantyhose. It's all these things we already wear and people will start to think of and start to understand their undergarments as just as in the same way that they think of their shoes or their handbags or their dresses or what they wear to the office. Having that perspective on lingerie is part of that larger accessibility question, but it's also a part, I think, of getting people to take intimate apparel and what goes into it seriously. All lingerie is handmade. Somebody has to sit at a sewing machine and stitch all these little delicate pieces together. And I feel like when we reduce lingerie to just a, a bedroom story, to just a seduction story, there's a lot of things that that, that particular story just has no room for. And, and I think that does a real disservice to to everyone. I'm curious about how you keep the blog inclusive and make sure that you're promoting body positive attitudes instead of profiting from it. Mm-hmm. And you have some really interesting tactics too that you, you know, you use so that like people don't feel like that they're pressured by advertising when they read on your site. And I say this as like somebody who is like specifically plus mm-hmm. size. Because I'm pretty sure that's how I found you. Is like I was looking for I was looking for something. I was like, this is the most thorough review of lingerie that is here for somebody who has a bigger body, you know, but I know that like, whenever that happens, I have always felt the pressure of like, well, this person says this is good. So I automatically have to buy this thing Mm -hmm. because this is the only option I have. My my goal is to help connect people with their options and help people get to know and to understand lingerie better. And and that that perspective that that idea just informs and underlines everything I do. When we like a product on, on TLA, we, we say we like it. And, and I want my readers to know that that's, that's a genuine endorsement, that that's an authentic 
like for something. And similarly, when we don't like something, we say that, but that's not the same as saying, okay, you should never buy this. You should never support this brand or buy this product. We're simply saying we don't like it for these reasons. And what I want people to feel when they come to my site or when they interact with me on social media or wherever they find the laundry addict is that there is space in this world for them, that there is someone somewhere making a product for them. And I see my role or my job in that interaction as connecting my readers with those brands or designers or products or boutiques so that they can find beautiful lingerie that fits them and that makes them, that makes them feel beautiful. I mean, it, it's so funny that you kind of bring up like, like the money part and the body positivity part, because I, I don't feel like a lot, of the, a lot of the ways that we talk about laundry are necessarily profitable from the perspective of the intimate apparel industry. We're still considered very much like an outlier and an outsider for the larger mm-hmm. intimate apparel industry. And, and a big part of that is because of, of our inclusive approach to laundry. I don't, I don't really have much use for the kind of traditional tropes of aspirational lingerie and fashion photography. What I just want people to feel in, in at least some small way that there is someone welcoming them, welcoming them to lingerie. There's someone who wants them to find something beautiful, who wants them to feel comfortable and confident and, and like that there is something out there for them. Now I want to talk about the book because I feel like, you know, this inclusivity thread runs through the book as well. You like you chose watercolor illustrations to keep it inclusive that you you use gender neutral language throughout the book. Thank you. I noticed. (laughs) I appreciated it. You talk about lingerie for people with disabilities and for people with um, fibromyalgia and and things like that. And so I'm wondering, like, did you get any pushback when you were putting this book together? So I, I feel really lucky in that my publisher and my editor, they, they came to me and they said, we want to publish a book about lingerie and we've done our research and we think you're the person to write it for us. They, they were very specific in that they wanted me and my point of view and my particular voice. And I know that's not an opportunity that happens very often. So I feel just very lucky. And when I was putting together my proposal, I included from the very beginning that I wanted to have illustrations, that I wanted to use gender neutral language, that I wanted to be inclusive for, for trans and non-binary people, people with physical disabilities. And from, from the very beginning, from that proposal, my publisher and my editor were both like, yeah, this is great. We're totally on board. We want the same things. And so I never, I never received any pushback at all from them, just lots of encouragement, wanting to make sure that the, the final version of the book aligned with the vision that I had from the very beginning. And what is the feedback that you're getting from the, you know, like for your, from your readers about it? They've been really happy. I, I, I was, I was, I don't want to say worried or concerned, but I, I was aware that I, especially in today's political climate, there might be pushback from people regarding the, the gender neutral language and regarding the, the, the sections on, on trans inclusivity. There hasn't been that, but there has been from people who've noticed a lot of, a lot of support people feeling included who maybe didn't feel included in lingerie before. And, and I wanted to write the book in a way, I, I like that you notice a gender neutral language because I think it also shows how easy that is to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's not really obvious. It's not really dramatic. It's not the sort of thing you'll probably even notice unless you're looking for or aware of it. But if you are non-binary, if you are trans, then it's something that's going to matter to you. And so I, I also want to I suppose, to show in some ways that there is another way of talking about lingerie. There is another way of talking about these garments to help people feel included. And, and I, thought, I thought that this book was, was a way to show one, one way that that could be done. You also pose a lot in all of the pictures of beautiful lingerie that are out there. Was that hard for you initially or did it feel weird? I mean, I think it, I think it always feels a bit strange to, to post photos of yourself in your underwear on the internet. Um, and I know that when I started, I, I did feel more, more trepidation, more hesitancy than I do now. But a lot of that was because I knew that once those images were out there, there was no kind of coming back from it. Um, and that's tied up a lot, I think, in the stigma that surrounds lingerie, especially in this country. So for me, the, the heart question was more so, okay, if, if there are pictures of me and my lingerie on the internet, that pretty much means I'm not going to be able to get a normal job at all now. Like I have to be really committed to the laundry attic now because I can't just go back. But at first, my, my shoots were just a way to, to dress up, to have fun, 
to experiment. And then in recent years, I've tried to push them more in the direction of editorials where we're telling stories. And, and I think, again, trying to show a vision of lingerie that we don't usually see. I would love to see more lingerie fashion editorials in, in mainstream fashion magazines. I would love to see more lingerie fashion editorials on different sites, but but we don't really see a lot of that. We also don't see a lot of Black women, right. you know? And I think that, for me, that was what was probably the most striking thing. You always think that these are small things that don't matter, and then I'm going through Instagram or I'm looking at your site, and I'm like, oh, when was actually the last time that I have seen like black women modeling the the garments that I want to wear. And I'm like, I'm 33 and it always shocks me that I have, I still have these firsts. So I, you know, like, I'm sure that that is also part of the story. Here. Well, and I, I want, I want people to feel like, and I feel like I keep going back to this, like, like this world is for them and there, there is something here for them. Cause I know that when I'm looking at ad campaigns or websites, especially for perhaps like the more luxurious pieces, the more high end pieces, you never see them on darker skin. And I just, I want to, if I can, be, be a part of, of changing that. Can we talk about some lingerie myths? Yes. Because I feel I feel that they're out there and they're so strong. The first one that comes to mind for me is that every woman is wearing her wrong bra oh size. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can we like can we just unpack that a little bit, please? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, ha- I have a lot of problems with that statement on a lot of different levels. The first one is that I don't think it's very encouraging to start off a conversation about bras or bra fit from the perspective of you're doing it wrong which is what that statistic says. It's like 80% of women wear the wrong bra size, which is essentially, I feel like, saying to people, you're, you're too silly and you're too dumb to know what works for you and your body. I don't think we can get people to love lingerie starting from a place of condescension or assuming that we know more than what, what people do about their own bodies. And there's also the fact that there's not really a, I feel like, a good resource for that statistic. Usually it's a bra company or a lingerie company or like a bra fitting boutique that's put out that stat. And I'm just like, uh. or Oprah or Oprah. That's where I heard that for the first time. Well, when we, <laughs> when you learn more about the laundry industry and about bras and you know that there's so much inconsistency between brands, for example, so much inconsistency and in fit, even for the same person, like across the month, you might wear a different size before your period than you do after. What we know about like sister sizing and how if you have a squishier torso, you might want a smaller band. If you have a broader, more muscular torso, you might want a bigger band. Just when we know kind of all these different variations and permutations that go into fit. Wait, is sister is sister sizing the one where they're like, oh, you might be a 38 double D, but you're also a blah, 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 triple C. Like when you have like two different <laughs> options that you can have. Right, so it's so like the sister size. This is, this is how you can tell that I know nothing about buying a bra. <laughs> so like the sister size for like a 38 D would be like a 36 double D. You'd be going down a band and up a cup size. And what that means just as an aside is that it's the same cup volume because your bra size is essentially a volumetric measurement. Wow, science. But it's made for a a slightly different build or a slightly smaller or larger torso. So that's why you can't say things like, oh, I'm a C cup or I'm a D cup or I'm a G cup, because without the number associated with that letter, you actually have no idea what the size is because the volume measurement for a 38 double D is much different than the volume measurement of a 30 double D. What is the hopeful way for those of us who are like true civilians when it comes to this stuff to like just get better education about it? I really appreciate the bra blogging community. It's a great way to see how products look on different bodies, styled in different ways, to have people talk to you about, oh, I tried this brand and here's what I liked or I tried it and here's what I didn't like in a way that we don't, I think, really have a lot of access to. I also have a private Facebook group that's for women and femmes only called Laundry Addicts. And a lot of people share reviews of products that they've tried in there, which is a great resource. I like the bra reviews on Her Room. I know that some people aren't, have had issues, especially when it comes to returns for that boutique, but they have a very rich review archive, which I think is amazing. 
Um, also checking reviews on Amazon can be good. The caveat there is that um, if, if you might not be sure, like of the language people are using to describe like their bras or their fit, but you can still maybe get a sense of if, okay, this brand is generally true to size or maybe it's generally shallow. And Nordstrom also has good bra reviews. So, I mean, it's, I, I feel like that, that's, a, that's a lot of different places to send people. I know. So what you're saying is that like, unless you have your own like tape measure at home and you are committed to doing it every day, you well, like, you need to like have a good baseline for how you shop for a bra. It, there, I, I don't think there's really any shortcut to the trial and error portion, which is probably really frustrating for people because I know that I have people ask me, like, they're like, just recommend me a bra in this size that will fit me perfectly. And I'm like, I can't. I, I can't say try this brand or try this style or try this size. And it will definitely fit you exactly the way you want because there's just, there's so many variations in our bodies and so many variations in our breast shape and breast placement and what we personally find comfortable that I just don't think there's any way to kind of skip over that trial and error portion. The the upside is that when you find that perfect bra, um, that you can buy like a lot of them and you, like you know what's good for you and you can start to compare the features or styles that you like of that bra with similar features and styles in other bras because it is in some ways like learning a language and there isn't a way to avoid doing that in person because especially with bras, you you have to be able to try it on to to get a sense of how it feels and fits and looks on you. What are other lingerie myths that you hear all the time that drive you nuts big myth is that bras prevent breast sagging this is such a terrible myth and i think it does so much to make people feel awful about their bodies breasts come in a wide range of shapes and sizes and densities and firmnesses i don't know if firmnesses is a word but we're just gonna go with that um, <laughs> oh, we're a hundred percent going with it um, and, and people people will feel like really angsty and really ashamed and almost traumatized it's like they've done something wrong with their body or their bras or their breasts because their breasts are perhaps more pendulous shaped or their breast tissue is, is softer. Um, that's just like, that's genetics. Uh, so much of how our breasts look is tied up in genetics and really has nothing to do with when we wear bras or how often we wear bras or the type of bras we wear. And I feel like that myth in particular just does such a disservice to people and creates so much unnecessary anxiety when the, the reason our breasts look the way they do is either because that, that's just in our DNA or it's because of other factors like maybe pregnancy or, or weight gain or loss or growing older or smoking. But it has nothing to do with, with how often or how regularly that you wear a bra. So that's one myth I would really like to see die. I wish you could go and tell uh, 11-year-old Amina this because it would have saved me a lot of heartache. Yeah. Um, another myth, oh, that, that bras shouldn't be that expensive because they're only like two pieces of fabric. I see this a lot. That's really unfortunate and it does a real disservice to the people that make our garments. And I think it's that, that particular mindset or position is also tied to the fact that most of us don't make our own clothing and we also don't know anybody else who makes their own clothing. So it's very easy to kind of gloss over all the labor and all the work and, and specifically all kind of the fine detail and expert level work that goes into making something like a bra. As I mentioned earlier, all of our laundry is handmade, everything except for uh, hosiery, which is knit. But no matter if you're getting your underwear like from Aerie or Target or you're getting it from like La Perla and Adrian Vocateur, <laughs> like it's all handmade. Um, I did not know that. Wow. And, and there, there are people who have specialist lingerie design degrees. They're called contour fashion degrees. Like they're essentially engineers in silk who create patterns and kind of put together this, this three-dimensional framework or structure that supports our breasts. And they do it from these flimsy, light materials like lace and tulle and, and gauze and silk and all these other things. But that takes, that takes a, lot of, a lot of measuring and a lot of iteration and a lot of design to essentially get a bolt of lace and transform that into a, a support structure to, to kind of hold up and lift and, and shape um, your bust. And so what you're paying for when you're paying for a bra isn't two pieces of fabric. What you're paying for is all that engineering and design work and all the time it took to sit at the sewing machine and put those 24 or 36 or 40 pieces that go into a bra to put those all together by hand. Um, what is your take on like 
washing your like undergarments mm-hmm. bra specifically because when I asked this in my friend group we almost had a civil war I found out some people wash like never some people wash all the time I'm interested in an expert take so I think it it depends um for something like bras it's usually best to not wash them after everywhere, which I know is scandalous. I'm sure someone would be like, oh my God, Cora, that's so nasty. But every time you, you kind of wash and dry a bra, you're destroying the elastic a little bit. Um, even with the most delicate detergents or soaps, they're going to have um, some wear on the elastic. And especially if you're doing things like putting your bra in the washing machine or heaven forbid the dryer, you're gonna ruin it even faster. So the reason you want to wash your bras um, a little bit less than perhaps you think is because it actually helps preserve the life of your bra. So obvious exceptions to this, sports bras, you want to wash those after everywhere. Um, If you have a skin condition like eczema, for example, you may find that you want to wash your bras more frequently just because you'll be having like body oil and things running, rubbing off on your bra that you don't want to re-irritate your skin. Um, If it's summer and you're sweating a lot, you probably want to wash your bra more often. But you can you can wear a bra a few times usually before you want to do a hand wash or a machine wash from Delicate Cycle and then hang it up to dry. Okay, let's step away from bras. Let's say that you are somebody who like knows nothing about anything that's not like a bra and panty set and you are very curious. What is a good like gateway into exploring this world? Loungewear. That's my favorite because you can find loungewear in a range of sizes and at a range of price points. And it tends to be what I feel like very size flexible, but also something that people will be more open to wearing because you can wear loungewear at home. You can wear it on vacation. So to be clear, loungewear is like a chemise. Uh... Yeah, chemises, robes, pajamas, nightshirts, caftans. All of those are, are tied up under loungewear. Um, wow, I, I did not know caftans yeah, were loungewear. Yeah, we, I, like, well, we are the premier podcast destination for caftans. <laughs> this is great. I, I think there, I just bought a caftan from Christine Landre that I wore um, for a recent vacation in New Orleans. It was silk with like this birdcage print. And it was like, it was so comfortable. Um, but I also like loungewear because it's great. If you want to do like a laundry as outerwear look, it's also really accessible for that as well. I like to wear my robes as little light jackets out and about. I wear my camisoles out and about. You can wear some slips out and about as dresses. Within that larger loungewear category, vintage slips are, I think, the ideal gateway to trying vintage lingerie, trying loungewear, experimenting with the idea of of beautiful lingerie because vintage slips tend to be less expensive. You can find them for really cheap on Etsy and eBay. You can find them in a pretty wide range of sizes. Because they're vintage, the stitching and the fabric quality tend to be very high quality. So you can get beautiful things like crystal pleating and lace applique and mesh insets and just kind of all this this really beautiful stuff that would be wildly expensive on modern day lingerie. But because it's a vintage slip and there are vintage slips all over the place, it's, it's really affordable on those. And I also think robes are a great item if you're new to lingerie Uh because they're the sort of thing where in terms of cost per wear, you can really get your money back from a beautiful, well-made robe. And you might find yourself just reaching for it all the time at home or you're at a friend's house, you have somebody coming over. Um, They're just a great item to get used to the idea, I think, of lingerie and and of specifically buying and wearing something for yourself that makes you feel good. I love that. My last question to you is about coverage Mm -hmm. of lingerie. We get so many press releases that are always like, this person has an underwear line now. This person is the most (laughs) inclusive brand. Or like, this person has like 178 bra sizes or whatever. And I realize that I actually don't know what any of that means. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because I will then see coverage of it and reporters run with the press release all of the time. Yeah. You know, like there's like a brand in particular that I'm thinking about that always says that they are the most inclusive brand. Yeah, I, I know and, what you're talking you about. Know, and that, that press release is incorrect. And I was really upset that so many media outlets rushed to reprint it. Yeah. Right. So I'm wondering like, you know, like what it bugs you about lingerie coverage and, you know, for the people who like cover fashion and clothes that are maybe listening, like what should they be looking out for? I would say be very wary of any brand that claims to be the most, the first, doing something no one else has ever done before. Your, your first reaction when you hear any kind of claim like that should be that that's probably not true because 
just by virtue of the fact that we're talking about bras and there are only so many ways to lift and shape a breast, what they're claiming to invent was probably right. invented like a hundred years ago. Um, and that it's okay to reach out to, I know there aren't very many laundry experts, I feel like, but it's okay to reach out to them and to ask, or to even if it's off the record, kind of like what our perception or what our feelings about a press release are, if we might know something that isn't being expressed in that press release. Because there isn't a lot of information out there about lingerie. There aren't a lot of people who focus specifically on lingerie and its design and its trends. And so I think it's easy to just kind of assume that that what you're being told from a brand must be the truth because you don't know any better. You don't have any larger context. I was really sad to see that the Blue Stockings boutique closed, yeah. um, you know, which is... It was the first, I think, um, LGBTQ plus focused store in the United States. Everything they offered was amazing. But I'm also like, I understand that, you know, the the economic and like market realities of that as well. If we say that we want to support inclusive brands and queer brands and then we don't actually buy from them, like this is what happens. Right, right. And and what that's going to look like is also buying things that are are more expensive than what you can find in Target and Walmart and JCPenney's because, and I, I know the founder of Blue Stockings, Gina, her mission was also to buy from ethical brands, brands that she knew were paying their workers fairly and manufacturing their products fairly. And that in and of itself is going to add dollars to the final amount. And so I think just kind of remembering, not 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 guilting anybody for being able to afford what they can afford because things out here are hard for all of us, but there are going to be things that are different if you're a small boutique, a niche boutique, or if you're focused on on things like diversity or inclusivity or ethical manufacturing that will add to the prices that you see for a shop like like Gina's or like Blue Stockings Boutique. What are brands that we should be looking for or smaller boutiques that are in that same vein are, you know, like perhaps queer owned, definitely source their materials well and are places that, you know, like we should be proud to spend our money at? Uh, Playful Promises is a big one. Um, full disclosure, they've been an advertiser of my site for forever. Um, but they've done a lot of work in the last few seasons to expand their size range, to expand it thoughtfully um, in terms of both plus sizes and full bust and making their products and their core range the same across that size range. So I feel like they really listen to their customers. They're really invested in going even further with their size expansions. Um, and they're here for the long haul. They're, they're not just doing size expansions because they think it's trendy. They're doing it because they really believe in making the laundry industry a more diverse and a more inclusive place. Um, Chromat is is a queer-owned lingerie slash fashion swimmer brand that I think is doing really great things. Um, the owner, Becca, very visible, very open, very transparent about what goes into being a small brand and the costs associated with doing things like size expansions or making things ethically. Um, and I also think her products are, are really are really phenomenal. They're gorgeous. Um, Panky Panky is another great brand that was one of the first to actually expand into plus sizes way before it was making headlines. Um, and also one of the first to offer new tones for their for their lingerie. They had like new uh, a range of skin tone nude thongs and chemises and camisoles and things like that. Another brand that is committed to like ethical production and manufacturing. They make everything in New York. They pay their workers fairly. I think everybody who works for the company has equity in the company now. They would rather be smaller than they could be if it means they can still treat everybody right. And I think that's that's such an important thing. And then maybe Nubian and Skin, because they really put the the concept of nudes for all, and, and especially kind of on the industry level, um, on the map. And a lot of brands that were completely disinterested in making deeper tone nudes, because I would talk to them about it, and they'd be like, mm, nah, that's good. Um, started doing it after Nubian Skin and after the response to Nubian Skin. So I think she's also someone who's made, the changes she's made in the industry over the last few years are, are ones that people take for granted now, but they were they were really significant and, and moved, uh, moved a lot of things. Cora, when do you feel at your, like, how do you know that you feel at your best when you are wearing your lingerie, like you specifically? When I feel like the best version of myself, when I feel comfortable and confident, almost to the point that I'm not even thinking about what I'm wearing because it just feels like it's a part of me. 
And I feel like that's that's the goal. If I have to be hyper aware of what I'm wearing, if either like the fabric is uncomfortable or it's so fussy that I have to be worried about tearing it or tripping over it, then I can't really relax into the experience and enjoy it. And so the best lingerie just makes me feel like the best version of myself. I love that. Cora, thank you so much for joining us. Please tell everybody where they can follow all your work. Yeah, so I the name of my site is thelingerieaddict.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at The Lingerie Addict and on Twitter at lingerie underscore addict. And you can find my book at most booksellers. And that's it. Thank you so much for having me. Cora! Oh, the best. Okay, I want to ask before we sign off, what has been the greatest undergarment, foundation garment, lingerie revelation of the past few years for you, of like recent memory? Ooh. Like about what you like or about what you like to wear or maybe just like something you learned? I think the revelation was that like I could wear lingerie and be very comfortable. Mm. Like I just didn't know that that was possible at all. And I've been uh, exploring some like I have rehauled my 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 underwear drawer is everything is like pretty much brand new and every single thing in that makes me feel amazing mm-hmm. and I was just like I didn't know that was a feeling that I could have and also like with, for somebody with like very big boobs I didn't know that I could have like fun bras mm. and I have fun bras again but you know also like I'm mostly not wearing bras anymore both as a political statement and as a I am just tired of life statement. <laughs> so my rule is that like if I wear a bra, it's usually probably the only thing I'm wearing. Like it's like the bra is the shirt. <laughs> and and also like it's got to be a banger. And mm-hmm. so that's where I'm at. Mm. What about you? Well, it's funny. I was thinking about this. I think, okay, so I I think I can trace these ideas back to the fact that I I sort of sexually came of age in like the girls gone wild era of like the <laughs> early 2000s, which is to say, or like the like female chauvinist pigs yeah. era where like the idea that like certain underwear you wear, or like certain looks come with political implications, which mm-hmm. I think is like definitely not as true or like not as straightforward as it was portrayed then. And so I had a real bias against the thong. Where I was like the tea hong, the tea hong. I was like, you would never catch me in a tea hong. Catch me in a tea hong. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, oh, like this says something about how I think the world will view me, or how I want mm. the world to view me. And in fact, well, first of all, I think I was wearing them like a size too small, which like don't do that. Um, <laughs> but I also think that like when I finally started wearing them and I can't remember what the thong catalyst was I was like oh my god this is actually really comfortable because my butt jiggles a lot and my butt will like eat other kinds of underwear if it doesn't fit right like it is a my butt crack is a hungry monster that is like eating (laughs) eating the back of so many pairs of like bikini cut underwear but a good thong is just like hanging out in one place and so actually like for exercise or like certain types of moving around or like certain cuts of pants that I wear I'm like this is the only way to go and I have like found certain brands that I am like very loyal to as well but like that was a real revelation and I'm like you know fuck you girls gone wild for like keeping me from this knowledge about what I like to wear like fuck you like like the patriarchy man the patriarchy is such a scam it's like you end up hating things that are actually might could be good for you exactly Mm. I know like 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 listening to like boys in my class say disparaging things about like visible whale tails made me think that like the whale thing oh my god have you never heard that phrase I've never heard that before maybe that's just like sexist midwest boys that like I grew up with yeah that's wild yeah like like I internalized some like totally dumb narratives about what it means if you wear a certain kind of underwear and it kept me from living my truth of just like stable a stable well-fitting thong <laughs> listen i bought a t-hong for the first time like this week what i haven't tried it on yet and i'm feeling some real i'm i like i'm like if you buy underwear you have to keep it whether it fits or not because i don't and i hope that we all feel that way otherwise i am not buying underwear ever again uh because oh, you mean like, like you can't return it to the store yeah you can't return it to the store whether it fits or not it's like you know you just gotta eat that um because i mean i'm picturing your butt eating it i know but i'm just i'm like i'm just hoping that like this is a rule that all of society is okay with because otherwise like i'm getting full body chills i don't know how to tell so, you that you can't trust I, all of society I know, with I a know, rule like Anne, this i know and i don't want to think about it but so anyway this i bought this t-hong and i am hoping that it fits 
But also I was like, oh, I fully still haven't tried it on and it's been a week. So I'll let you know how oh it my goes. God. I am definitely speaking of, like, I love that this week's like episode update from last week is like serious conversations and resources. And next week I'm going to be like, what's happening up your butt crack? <laughs> Listen, I, cause you know me, I love my favorite kind of underwear. Like my favorite is a high waist, mm. like high cut. You're queen of the highest of high cuts. Like I like that, like it, I feel my most powerful. I Mm. feel supported. I'm like, I feel safe. (laughs) The people around me who see them feel safe. We all feel safe and supported. I like the idea that I feel supported (laughs) by proximity. I'm just like, I'm like when I am, this is me at my best. Mm. And so I was like, my lovers and my colleagues all benefit from this. Like we are all, (laughs) everybody feels safe and supported. That's my standard underwear. And so when I deviate from that, it's like a lot. And the T-Hong is a serious deviation. Well, you know, you can get an extremely high-waisted uh, T-Hong. That's what I bought. I bought mm-hmm. an extremely high-waisted T-Hong, but I haven't tried it on yet. And and I'm like, what if it doesn't fit? Now I'm stuck with this T-Hong because I don't believe in returning underwear. <laughs> I do this for the people. <laughs> also, I'm like, I'm like, wow, can we get the rights to the thong song? Because that is like the only closing <laughs> music that we really need right now. You know, it is Cisco's best work. It is Cisco's only work that uh, we are going to mention here all, right now. The entire album, I think it was called Enter the Dragon, Welcome to the Dragon. I don't remember. Let's look it up. Unleash the Dragon. It was called Unleash the Dragon. Oh my God, Cisco's aesthetic is totally back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like realizing how relevant this album cover um, is. So I recently <laughs> watched the video to, to T Hong Song and obviously like wild sexist, but also like wild fun. Like Thong Song is like, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you got to save like one misogynist song, it's Thong Song for me. That is a bold statement. Yeah. I am not willing to co-sign right now. Listen, I'm just saying if you had to save one misogynist song, all the songs are misogynist. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. Cisco yeah. though. Cisco also has an album called Return of Dragon. Not oh, The no. Dragon. I yeah, he because I think his nickname was The Dragon. Oh. It's like who cares? Um Wow. But yeah, his aesthetic is very strong. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, this is this is very was, of the moment. He was always he was always like biting Missy Elliott's aesthetic, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Like he was like the small platinum Missy <laughs> Missy misdemeanor Elliot. But you know what, Cisco, wherever you are, I hope you are thriving. And also <laughs> reading a book about women. <laughs> Can we send Cisco an intimate detail? <laughs> <laughs> this is a conversation Sorry, like is officially here. off the rails i will check back <laughs> in about the tea hong next week <laughs> I can't even. okay but let's make that happen i know see you on the internet my little underwear monster oh see you in the underwear drawer <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet on our website callyourgirlfriend.com you can download the show anywhere you listen to your faves or on apple podcast where we would love it if you left us a review you can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com we're on instagram twitter and facebook at callyrgf You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. Our associate producer is Destry Maria Sibley. This podcast is produced by Gina Delva.